You know how I got started in fighting? Huh? No. Am I talking too loud? Three no. minutes! My father, he's uh, my old man. He was never too smart. He says to me, you weren't born much of a brain, you know, so uh, you better start using your body, right? So I've become a fighter. Oh. You know what I mean? <laughs> why you, why you left? My mother, she said the opposite thing. What'd she say? What'd she say the opposite? She said you weren't born much of a body, so you better develop your brain. Did she say that? You! Time! Can I ask you a question? Absolutely. Why do you want to fight? Because I can't sing or dance. Hey, yo. Don't fall! Don't fall! Hey, that was terrific. I'm pretty good at this. You like the way I skate? You know, the last fight I had, I had with this guy named Spider Rico. Yeah. He busted my head up there. You see that scar? I'll tell you, things get pretty rough in the ring. You're listening to a podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is The Fear of God. Hello, and welcome back to your favorite podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where every week... And especially this year, we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your fear of God hosts, Nathan Rouse. And typically with me is fellow co-host, old college chum, Reed Lackey. And guys, he was here a minute ago, but to be frank, I think I might have annoyed him because I listen, it's been a rough COVID era. I haven't been to the gym in a while. It's not a thing I'm proud of, but I was trying to see if he would help me with that. And yes, Reed is an odd person to ask for exercise encouragement, but it's part of the bit. So just go with it. I guess I pestered him a little too much because he barked at me that I've got a heart, but I fight like a GD ape. And I was like, ah, geez, Reed, that was kind of rude. Um, I'll apologize to him when he returns for the nagging. Um, In the meantime, allow me to welcome you listeners back into What Saves Us, the second of a pair of overarching series this year, this time featuring films and media that nurture your wonder, that invigorate your awe, that enrich your humanity, and not to overstate things, but that are saving you now. Last week, we stood on our desks and unleashed our yawp. But today, today, friends and foggers, we are putting on the trunks, and lacing up the gloves with the original Italian stallion. And more than that, I have the distinct privilege right now to welcome to the show Balboa's number one fan, last week's referenced real world John Keating, mine and Reed's former theater professor. Friends, welcome to the show, our friend Keith Cassidy. Welcome, Keith. Oh, man, this is a big honor for me because I've been... uh... 
Uh, I've always missed you guys. And so I've been such a fan of the show because every time I, I put it on in my car, I feel, hey, these guys are in the car with me. Yeah. Uh, and- feel, feel, feel like uh, the years just slip by and we're, we're right back in Gardner-Webb again. Yes. <laughs> good times. Good times. Well, next time that happens, just look in the back seat because... <laughs> I'll be there with you now. (laughs) You'll be like that guy from the twilight zone going my way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just like that. (laughs) And see the years have just slipped away and here we are right back in it. So Keith, um, I don't know if you're hungry, but the green room has some soda, donuts, cupcakes, some chocolate, help yourself a sec and permit me raw eggs. Yeah. Oh, sure. Hey, you know, (laughs) I'm sure there's some of that in there too. (laughs) Reed likes to keep the fridge stocked. Uh, Let me remind the the listeners that here at the fear of God, we explore. We don't explain except for right now. When I explain that you can listen to the fear of God at your nearest podcast platform, you can watch the fear of God on YouTube and you can browse the fear of God on the web at the fear of God podcast.com where you will find Reed. Reed. Hey buddy. (laughs) Reed, look what I found. Yo, Cassidy, we did it. This bomb bomb me was wandering the alley back behind the studio. I I did not say I did not say you fought like an ape. I have rethought my words, but yeah, what did you say? No, no, no. I'm not going to repeat it. (laughs) (laughs) Keith can handle it. Yeah. We're good. You're in good company. Um, Hey, Keith. It's so good to see you, man. You too, buddy, man. This is this is awesome. Yeah, this is really really fun. This is really fun. Uh, I was hoping we, you were going to come in in your Mickey voice, Reed. I can't do a Mickey voice. Yeah. Not a good one. Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah. like it would ju- it would just sound like our badly hit that bag. Hit it till it hates. Hit it till oh. it hates. <laughs> That's right. Keith's got the Keith's yes. got the assist. Yes. That's great. All right. So, Reed, we're going to get to Balboa. Do we have any business in the meantime? You know what? Uh, that I'm aware of, no. So, just all the usual. Leave us a review. Join the socials. Join have the Facebook fun. group. We got, yep. we got something fun brewing. We won't unleash it just yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but that there's back. something fun brewing for the Halloween times because we mm-hmm. are that kind of show. <laughs> um, wonderful. Well, I mean, Reed, do we do we venture do wanna, into? Do you want to do? Do you want to do the honors? You want to you want to inaugurate it, or would you like me to? Go for it, buddy, little guy. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Yes, you know the throat clearing sound and the dulcet tones underneath indicate that we are once more back in TV guideposts. This time around, because of the series hashtag What Saves Us, we are visiting the Apple TV Plus original series, Ted Lasso. We're starting with season one, episodes one and two, so it is a perfect time to join us for this week's installment of Hashtag TV guideposts. TV guideposts. <laughs> That's lovely. It's so this is amazing. Funny. I can't believe we're actually doing this. Read. We started joking like eight months ago. I know. I know. Well, and we have to, you know, we'll mention it in most, if not all of them, but we have to shout out to friend of the show, Jeff Hansen, for officially and formally, without prompting from us, submitting uh along with a few other submissions that honestly i wish we could get to all of but uh right there near the top was good old ted lasso so jeff miss you buddy thank you so much for submitting ted lasso this is very very exciting in fact we can even share because the listeners enjoy this sort of behind the music style stuff i was trying to falsify a way to get it on the show and you were like whoa nathan 
you've gotten <laughs> on to me for that before. He's like, it needs yes. to be a real submission, a true submission. I did not plant a seed in anyone's brain pan, nope. but mm -hmm. out of nowhere, probably within 36 hours of that conversation where you were like, it was the same week. Nathan. At least. Yes. And then Jeff's Ted Lasso recommendation showed uh -huh. up and here he we are. felt it from across the miles. Yeah. He felt it. There's a disturbance like, okay, in the force. <laughs> so um, we've, we've talked at length about the show. Now I, I happen to know for a fact, and, and we're going to be spending a lot of time with Keith in this episode, but um, I know that uh, uh, Keith has not yet seen it. So what we're going to do is we're just going to like initiate just talk around him. We're just like yeah. we did back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, talk over, talk around. Many, many, many a class, many a <laughs> he's, class. He's, he's regretting like, his choice right now. Like, wait a minute, I remember what this feels like now. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I gave you both C's. Okay, like, <laughs> no, that's because we were bad actors. <laughs> No, you just spoiled TV shows for me. That was <laughs> no, that was exactly <laughs> what it happened. Exactly what happened. But so the um, so I'll st I'll start with just sort of the loose premise in broad speak. If you if you are not familiar, if you completely have never heard of Ted Lasso, Ted Lasso is an Apple TV Plus original show starring Jason Sudeikis. Um, it was actually spawned as a series of um, ESPN commercials, basically advertising. Uh, I think World Cup soccer. But the premise of those commercials, which then bled into the broader premise of this TV show, is that um, Ted Lasso, played by Sudeikis, um, is an American football coach. And he is from Kansas, and he has just been brought over to coach a premier soccer league in England. And uh, completely out of his depth, he doesn't, he doesn't really know anything about soccer um, but he's been brought over specifically, as you find out in the first episode, so I'll spore this one little bit, uh, specifically because the owner of the club is going through a very nasty divorce from the previous owner of the club. And uh, so her name is Rebecca, and she uh, basically wants to sabotage the team. So that's why she brings over this Kansas City football coach. I don't know if it's Kansas City. I think it's actually just Kansas. But uh, she brings over Kansas uh, football coach Ted Lasso to try to coach the soccer team. She has the intent of sabotaging everything. Ted Lasso has every intent to just roll up his sleeves and be the best football coach he can be, but football actually soccer coach that he can be. Um, and so the the, the story ensues there. Yes, exactly. It is. I actually fun can relate to this. I mean, I've never heard the plot of it before. Yeah, yeah. But a very similar thing happened to me. Oh, I wasn't really? a football coach, but right. <laughs> like, wait a minute. <laughs> but uh, when my youngest son, Zach, he wanted to get on a soccer team and mm -hmm. there were no soccer teams that he could get on. So the neighborhood formed their own and they needed somebody to be the coach just oh, no. in order to form the team. I I knew nothing about soccer. I didn't know what a fullback was. I think I knew goalies could use their hands. That was the extent of my. So I'd show up with my little black coach shirt every day oh my and gosh a real thank god That's there was a, a mother actor. there was a mother there that understood the rules and so i was in the soccer coach shirt but she just she she did everything you go here you go there you go there I'm like, yes That's hilarious let's go guys <laughs> listen to her well, well my he, wife in high school played soccer so i i don't i don't i don't speak sports and so uh when the show actually dabbles in the actual games and, and what's going on with the games mattering i'm like hey what's can you, what is going on? <laughs> How are points scored? Who's what, what's where Holy football, gosh. football, it's all the same, but totally different. Um, but for what it's worth, Keith, if, if the time does permit for you in the future, it's, it's a really lovely show. You would find a lot of humor and heart to, to be found in it. Um, 
the this particular episode so this is episodes one and two we're we're assessing today at least in brief uh episode one uh is called just call it. yep yeah. um and it's effectively rebecca reveals the plot like you learn this is she's sabotaging the team ted meets the team and the big uh sort of character bit for ted is we learn of some marital tension back home and that's going to propel through this season but Reed, I don't know. Talk to me, Reed, a little bit about because you know I pitched you on the show way back when. Sure. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, funny story is you. What was the what was the writing? You were do an afterthoughts blog piece was due from you, and you were like it was a Friday, and oh, I remember this. you were like, yes. okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch a TED or two, and then do this afterthoughts blog, and. <laughs> like eight hours later hey man i'm going out of town i didn't get to write the afterthoughts blog because i watched the whole season of ted lasso yes i I did i did yes yes that's how it goes i watched Um, so i watched it all speak a little bit to that initial wave of of experience you had with this with this uh, the beginning of the show and or the season Sure. So I had enough going into it to know, like, okay, the, I, I kind of understand what the show is aiming for. It's aiming for, you know, what if Ned Flanders was a, was a real fleshed out character that you could really root for. And that's, you know, that's kind of what he's going into is this. Um, so I watched the first couple of episodes and it was, it happened to be a day that I was off of work. Uh, my wife still had to go to her work and my son was off from school. But I had taken the day off. So just that morning, I was like, let me knock out the first couple of episodes and then we'll move on with it. But after the first couple of episodes, after these two episodes, I was like, I'll, just, I'll watch a couple of more. And then by the time it, it just builds from there. Yeah. And so then by the time my wife got home, I was about six or seven episodes deep. And I was like, yeah, I'm just, I'm just going to finish out the rest of the show. And uh, it was really, I think what propelled me is number one, the 30 minute episodes. So, you know, they're easily digestible. Um, the energy around the show is really, it's not like propulsive to where you have to, you have to keep watching it, but the characters almost immediately are very, um, engaging and they're very endearing. Now, what I have heard, um, uh, because I have now seen this is my third time going through season one, because when I finished it and season two was about to start, I watched the whole first season with my wife. Her description of it is that the characters take a little warming up to get into that. It was about episode three or four before she kind of acclimated to the wavelength of the show. Now that it didn't take me that wavelength, but I have heard that from other people as well, that like the first couple of episodes are like, I don't know what quite what to make of this. Um, but then by episode three or four, they're, they're pretty much all in for, for well, almost everybody that I've talked to. And maybe this is a subconscious thing that's being alluded to there, but it's almost like there's a pair of frequencies you have to get on one is the Ted Lasso energy. And if you're yes. not bought in, that might be a put off Two is the the britishness of it and so there it's yeah. it's very uh it arguably is kind of screwball in some places but very whiz bang kind of uh, set up punchline sort of comedic uh, uh aspect yeah. to it um i know for me personally i don't know that i would say it took warming up to as a concept the comedy I clicked on very quickly and and honestly between this week and next week most of my notes are just lines um you know the the (laughs) first one first one being when ted and coach beard are on the plane heading to the uk (laughs) and he says if we see each other in our dreams let's goof around pretend like we don't know each other and beard just says you got it stranger so the comedy (laughs) i was bought in quickly um an episode we won't get to for another two weeks which is episode five 
turns into a very emotional place. And mm-hmm. so that's when I was like, oh, wow, this this thing not only has the comedy uh, uh, down pat, it also kind of knows when to dive deeper. And that was yeah. that was really powerful to to kind of experience. But well, and I, um, I spent. Yeah. Oh, well, I was just going to say one more thing that kept propelling me that never happened was I kept waiting for the rug to be pulled out from under Ted. I kept waiting for like some big, deep, dark secret. I kept waiting for something like something's going to spin. This guy's too nice. This guy's too. But what they really do, and we'll play this out over the course of of at least season one, because season two, as of this recording, is still airing. So we've only seen the first half of season two as of this recording, but all of season one. And Ted Lasso's kindness is not because he's a goofball or a moron or anything. Like it's it's almost like a a hard earned optimism and a genuinely fought for kind of kindness and and way to navigate the world. And I kept waiting for something to come in and either undermine that or uh, you know in, in that way that sometimes shows which lead with their optimism can sometimes turn super cynical really fast. What's kind of amazing is Ted Lasso is the kind of show where everybody around him, most people around him, start off super cynical and then just his energy and his outlook and his approach to everything just steadily begins to erode that cynicism away and makes them see things in a different light that makes them you know, begin to approach their world differently. And that's it's truly remarkable in this particular television climate for that to be you know, such a hit popular show. So anyway, that was my last statement on that. Um, for this, for, for the sake of Keith's participation, uh, let's go ahead and jump into episode two here. Um, biscuits, which is also just a great blue. Well, can I mention, I'm sorry. Oh, please. Can I mention mention like one or two? Yeah. So on that note, there's something from the first, uh, well, obviously like him remembering kit man, Nathan's name, that was immediately, I was like, Oh, Ted Lasso is great. But you talked about a line. The one line that I wrote down for this one is, when Roy Kent is talking about it, he's like, okay, I didn't think I would spend my last season being coached by Ronald F. McDonald. And then when he leaves, the the uh, <clears throat> lasso looks at Coach Beard and he says he thinks he's mad now. Wait till we win him over. And then yeah, Coach Beard says, great. oh, he'll be furious. And that was when I was like, <laughs> oh, that's a, that's a great line. He's like, oh, he thinks he's mad now. Wait till we win him over. And uh, yeah, it's really great. So I just wanted to throw that line out from. The oh, absolutely. I, I mean, it's full of wonderful little character exchanges like that and uh so uh, second episode uh this this running bit about ted bringing biscuits uh, uh british Cookies. cake item cookie item to rebecca um becomes a bit here and you've got a fun anecdote about that read but also uh, the plot elements of this are that it's keely and ted keely the in season one girlfriend of jamie jamie his his character's name is jamie but his british is so thick his accent is so thick it's jamie like that's how he says his own name jamie tot like what did you just say um uh hope he never listens to this because i'm gonna feel like a jerk um uh it also features the character sam's birthday and ted fixes the water pressure in the showers read any specifics you would like to bring up on episode two here I love just there's a couple of little lines that I think are great. So uh, I'm going to I'm going to highlight like if you don't mind, I'm going to I'm going to highlight two or three here. Um, So the first one is after 
after he uh, implements biscuits with the boss, where he's just like, he's just going to bring Rebecca, who remember we said from the premise, Rebecca wants to sabotage the team. So she is not down for all of the Ted Lasso energy, but he's like starts by bringing her these little cookies, these biscuits. And, um, and then as he's leaving, he says like high five tree and like, and like smacks the, you know, like smacks the tree, which I just think is really funny. I also really loved when uh, Sam Obisanya like um, didn't uh, make the play in training. And so then Lasso calls him over and he says, you know what the happiest creature on earth is or the happiest animal on earth is a goldfish because it has a 10 second memory. And he says, be a goldfish, Sam. And then I love like Sam's just got this little like. What? (laughs) And then then Lasso's just like, you got it. Go on. Yeah, yeah, you got it. Um, But then probably. okay, so. Two more, and then uh, <laughs> so so because there's one that's really funny and it's perfect and it's like a great memeable moment, and then there's another one that's much more subtle that I love so much. So the big bombastic moment is um, when he's has another episode of Biscuits with the Boss. He brings her that morning. And he's like, no, 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 we're all part of the team. He said, I'm even having lunch with Higgins here. Higgins is a uh, is Rebecca's like yeah. Uh, assistant, yeah, the director of football operations, and so he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm even having lunch with. Uh, uh, Higgins here. And then as he's leaving, Higgins says, Caesar, you later. Cause they're having salads. He says, Caesar, you later. And then like two seconds later, Ted bursts into the room. And when I say burst, like slams the door, like bursts into it. And he bursts and runs right up to him and goes, yes, yes. First you're like startled. What the heck? Um, and then uh, my favorite one that's significantly more subtle is uh, Jamie who mentioned Jamie, who was mentioned earlier. Uh, when he's saying goodbye, he says, cheers. And then he walks away and like two seconds later, Ted Lasso goes, night court. Can I share my anecdote? And then you, 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 uh, you know, go for it. So we're all okay. here. All right. So my wife uh, works at a preschool and uh, where we live, we are just in this area. I mean, I, I don't think there's a lot of like celebrities where we live, but there's a lot of people in the movie industry, usually in the uh, props or costumes or set design or things like that. A lot of them work here and they commute down to, to further downtown. Um, well, she came into work one day and I guess uh, one of the people that uh, one of the parents of the students that she uh, teaches where she teaches um, works on Ted Lasso, I guess, because I have in my hands, this is a YouTube exclusive, but I have in my hands, this is, uh, these are biscuits legitimate, the these are legitimate, like coach Lasso. Yes. These are the real biscuits that they, that they, the same <laughs> kind that they use on the show. And yes, they are delicious. So, uh, yeah, I just had to you share. need to find the shop that makes them. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Or the coach. Yeah. I'll let you share that. <laughs> so that's awesome. What? Oh, oh, you mean the spoiler for the show? The spoiler for the show. Yes, uh, exactly. No, we'll get so there. I just had to, yeah. Um, I'll, I'll throw out two notes real quick. One uh, is is a funny character bit. One is just a funny line to me, but where <laughs> where uh, Keely and Ted are talking about what would you rather be a lion or a panda? And uh, Rebecca comes out and she engages the bit and then Jamie comes out and they say lion or panda <laughs> he says coach i'm meh why would i want to be anything else <laughs> so translation coach i'm me why would i want to be anything else <laughs> ted, ted goes i don't know if you know how psychologically healthy that is <laughs> the other one that i just love because they they play throughout the show with uh, uh british colloquialisms and vernacular and 
Ted is learning the lingo and coach and, and, and Keith, the, the interplay is his, his assistant coach beard. That's literally his name. He has a beard. He's kind of the, the brains of the pair of them. He, he learns the, the, the common speak and all that sort of stuff. And is always educating Ted on the, the world they've now dropped, been dropped into. And Ted is trying to acclimate to some new vernacular. And, uh, he says to beard, he's like, so if I got fired while putting my cleats in the trunk of my car and beard says, you got the boot for putting boots in the boot. Because <laughs> <laughs> the same thing means boot for so many different things. Um, no, I, I love this show. I, I love this character. Uh, to your point, Reed, how I sort of analogize it to people is it's like if if Ned Flanders were, uh, 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 oh my God, Coach Taylor from Friday Night Lights. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. instead of deriding Ned, everyone rises to be Ned. It's really a lovely enterprise. So there's these little, these little biscuits come with... Uh, Doing the right thing is never the wrong thing. Coach Lasso, go get him, Tiger. Kindness makes a comeback. Don't mind me. I'm just going to be eating these biscuits. I see that, yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, <clears throat> that has been another uh, a first installment of Ted Lasso with Jamie Tart and the Richmond team of footballers. Tune in next time for more of Coach Lasso, the gaffer, when he puts his boot in the boot with his boots. A boot tune. <laughs> it's been TV guy post. I don't know. I don't know what that was that you were trying to do. It was not a British accent. <laughs> it was my attempt at Jamie. Jamie's a whole other accent. That's a oh. that's a dialect in and of itself. He's he's his own. He's his own. Well, speaking he of uh, people own. who have their own unique uh, speaking cadence. So we we're talking about Rocky today mm. so oh um, i thought you were referring to keith i was like well yeah. he's right he's come right on. here Reed. Yeah. No, no, um, come on come on uh, yo. Li- yeah. listeners are going to be surprised here in a you're, second you're, when... you're, i'm famous for my cincinnati accent <laughs> yo <laughs> i'm so tempted to tell that story um uh uh so keith it is it's time to get in the ring brother All and right, it's a joy to have you here i'm thrilled to because i know of Good Lord, 23 years ago, 22 years ago, when you first entered my orbit of your deep and abiding passion for the sport of boxing, the character of Rocky, uh, by extension, of course, the franchise of of the character. So I'll admit for myself, I have seen both creeds. Um, I had seen this first installment, but it's been years beyond that. I think I've probably at times at least seen bits and pieces of the other mm-hmm. films, but our, our primary focus today is going to be on this first one, but I wanted to, because Reed and I just took up all this time chatting about something that you haven't watched yet. Uh, I want you to return the favor now <laughs> for me. <laughs> and that is for, for people who, you know, are watching this film to, to, to jump into this conversation. Cause we do have those listeners, um, Point for us to your kind of top three installments from the franchise. Feel free to to riff on them for a minute or two. I'm sure Reed will will throw in some some thoughts as well. But like, I know in a perfect world, hey, watch them, you know, in sequence. But like, right. what are your sort of favorite installments, includes inclusive of the Creed films? Uh, so yeah, so Rocky is my favorite film of all time. So mm-hmm. that that's that's number one. And uh, I was talking to why well, I, I think I emailed both of you. Uh, kind of some of the things that uh, were going on in my life at the time that that uh, that, that film came out. 
Uh, I don't know if you want me to talk about that now or if that's do the, do the three films and then we'll come back. All right, to your, yeah. So I would say the, Rocky would be number one. Uh, Creed would be <laughs> number two and wow. Rocky and Rocky Balboa would be number three. Oh, all right. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Now, uh, uh, I've seen Creed, so cool. I've got two of the three down. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is Balboa because the film is that good, or because, or maybe both, or because kind of the story, where the story goes, is that sort of impactful? I, I think it's. I think it's both. I think it's. Um, it, it's. It. It still stands as its own. And uh, Reed and I were talking. I've always placed Rocky three over Rocky two, and then in binging it and, and preparing for uh, for this interview, I said, you know. Now, 30 years later, I think Rocky II holds up. And I think Rocky mm-hmm. Balboa really holds up. Mm-hmm. I think Stallone keeps getting a little more seasoned as an actor. Um, I think Burt Young, it, Burt Young, uh, Paulie became kind of a character. He's a great character in the first one. You know, he's so real. He's so three-dimensional. Uh, you hate him at times, you know, mm-hmm. but but he's real. And then by the time it gets to like Rocky Three and Rocky Four, he becomes kind of a caricature. Yeah. Um, and uh, Rocky Balboa, he has some really beautiful scenes. And in fact, I think one of my favorite things I've ever seen Burt Young do, if you ever get a chance to get the Rocky Balboa DVD, there's a deleted scene. And mm-hmm. I, it's his best. I think it's my favorite th- uh, piece of his acting. Wow. Um, That's one painful. thing <laughs> while we're on the subject of Burt Young, um, I always thought, you know, this is weird for me because I, you know, I'm a director, I'm an actor, I'm a theater teacher. You think I would know better than to judge someone by what I see on screen. But I always thought Burt Young was just this uh, kind of a bruiser guy who played bruiser guys in movies. But he, uh, I, I, I was listening to him. He really was uh, approached Paulie very sensitively and very intelligently. Mm. Um, you, whether or not, whatever your feelings of method acting are. Uh, I just didn't expect it to come from him. He said that he felt Paulie was filled with self-loathing mm-hmm. and he wanted to always have that sense of self-loathing. And he said that the smell of vermouth always made him sick. So he, oh, wow. before every scene, he would rub vermouth all over his collar and all over wow. his neck. So he would always have this sense of, wow. um, of just disgust with himself. Wow. Uh, wow. And I just, it's not whether you agree or disagree with that, with sure, uh, sure. that approach to acting i just never thought it, he would be somebody that would do that sure. but uh and then when i saw rocky Balboa, and i especially he's good in the whole movie but that deleted scene in the alley he's just brilliant in now remind mm-hmm. me but both of you would know this and and this isn't my primary question i do have a follow-up here uh where does Balboa sit in sequence it did it come out pre-creed? it's the sixth it's yeah. the sixth film and it's pre-creed yeah yeah it, it okay. it's the one he that because he did I knew it was uh, relatively one recent. through five were pretty much like three years apart, give or take. And then there was like 20 years. <laughs> like yeah. There was like a huge, di- he's, he's 60 years old in Rocky Balboa. Yeah. Cause like yeah. Rocky five yeah. was 90 and then wow. Rocky Balboa is 2006. So yeah, yeah. it was like, it, it was literally 16 years later and Rocky five was always seen up to that point as like, it's going to be the finale. That's going to be the end. Um, Keith, you're uh, um, only because I didn't know the depth of the other entries in the franchise, but your inclusion of Creed as high as you did uh, makes me happy. Can you share a little bit about like hearing that that was the approach Kugler was taking or, or, or like, you know, how nervous were you for this kind of sacred cow of this character in this franchise? Like, like what were your thoughts? Leading I up wasn't to that? nervous at all. Uh, maybe I was a little nervous when I heard about it. 
Sure. Because I really thought Rocky Balboa ended it right. Uh, you know, mm. it, was, it was it's a great ending. Um, <laughs> and really but then once uh, and read, maybe even you and I might have even talked on Facebook or something. Once that preview came out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Him stepping yeah. out of the shadows going, you know, who are you? Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> you know, man. I, I mean, I was like then I was I was just psyched for it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sure. No, I, I love everything about it. I think it's got the best fight choreography uh, of any of them. I mean, I don't know if it's all the fight scenes, but definitely the first one, that first, that first big fight he has, it's all one shot. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's, I'm thinking, man, just how hard it would have been to have learned that several minute long fight sequence Mm -hmm. and to stage it. So the camera is always in position, you know, so you're not seeing a miss. Um, it, it, the fight choreography I thought was wonderful. I think if I had a small uh, criticism with the fight choreography is that it it, it was all the same. So mm. when you look at Rocky, there's a real difference in style between the way Rocky fights and the way Apollo fights. Mm. And I mm. think in the Creed films, everybody kind of fights the same. You know, you can tell. It's the, it, 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 that's a minor. It's, I'm being nitpicky because I thought it was so good otherwise. Um, well, but, there's uh, a couple... Yeah, oh, oh, sorry. No, I, I don't mean to interrupt, but you said a couple of interesting things there. What's really interesting about that is that Creed, with the exception of Michael B. Jordan, of course, those are all real boxers. So like the person that he fights in that in that first fight you mentioned and uh, pretty Rick, who pray, who plays pretty Ricky Conlon, uh, they're they're real boxers. And, and yeah. I think uh, well, Andre Ward's one. one of the best. Oh, of the yeah. last 20 years. Yeah. And he's, yeah. he's not just a professional. He's like pound for pound. One of the best in the last 20 years. Yeah. And, um, uh, and so it's just interesting that so much of their fighting styles looked like, you know, identical. I, I just found that interesting. Y'all will appreciate this. So I did watch Rocky the other night, finished it at about, I don't know, 1130. And I just had that, had that energy, you know, I wanted to, wanted to yeah. punch somebody. And so what I did instead was I went and queued up reading. I was, I meant to text you and I forgot. I was so grateful for little lackey over there because, uh, <laughs> you know, we'll probably get in trouble with some, with the, the, um, uh, legal department with this, but your voodoo account has creed in it. Cause I was like, oh, man, yes. I just want to go browse it real quick. I don't, I'm, I'd love to watch it, but I can't do that. I'm too old. <laughs> uh, uh, and so I, I, I even went to see, was it streaming anywhere? And then I was like, I bet Reed's got it up in his account. Oh, his streaming yeah. account. So I went and I went and looked at it and sure enough, just watched the it's version of the ascending the stairs scene, you know, oh, him running man. through the streets with the motorcycles and stuff. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's so good. Oh, um, man. The worst one is Rocky four. You know, it's that, like, it's like, it's like, uh, Hey, it wasn't enough for him to go up the Philadelphia art museum steps. Let's have him run up a mountain. <laughs> Literally runs all the way up a mountain. It's crazy. <laughs> Everything is heightened in Rocky Four. Oh my god! Um, I will warn Keith, you though, Nathan, because I know yeah. as you do, and I'm not going to get into a. You know, we can't argue because I know we have deep disagreements about the relative aspects of the Star Wars movies. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> I'm not going to. So we're not going to argue about that. But I do know that one of the things you don't like about the last episode, Episode Nine, is that it. Kind of, um, are you talking about Rocky or Rise of Skywalker? I'm talking about Rise Star Wars. Sky- I'm talking about Star yeah, Wars. Okay. Rise of Skywalker. So one Star of the things Walker. I know you don't like about the Star Wars right. movie is that it 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 uh, it doesn't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow. No, but it, it kind of ignores all the plot elements from sure, the movie sure. before yeah, yeah. it. Uh-huh. So I'm warning you right now. That's the entire Rocky franchise. 
just ignoring yeah, what came no before. There's no continuity at all. It's whatever. <laughs> well, that's a shame. Like, Rocky two. It's like, yo, if you fight again, you're going to go blind. One more punch and you can go blind. And then he fights and we never hear about that again. Oh, no, that's Rocky true. Five years. They flat out say irreversible brain damage. There's nothing you can do about it. Nobody will ever license you. And then Rocky Balboa. Oh, yeah. The only thing wrong with you is you're old. But that you pass flying colors. You're yes, mentally and physically exactly. hilarious. Rocky, Rocky <laughs> four. He uh, he so leads you my pain. seven year old kid uh, <laughs> to go to Russia to fight the Russian. Rocky what five. Happens? He comes back and his kid's 13. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. It's true. It's so weird. No, so what in happens? Rocky in Rocky Four, he leaves and his son is like what seven, eight years yeah. old. Like he's he's oh, super young. Okay. He literally comes back from Russia like and a month his, later. And his child is a teenager. Well, yeah, Tom moves like, differently over there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he is in now, Siberia, Keith, the world's turning a little slower. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Keith, I am curious, and we don't have to spend much time here because I actually want to pivot to read on the top three question, but I know of your deep and abiding love of boxing. Did Rocky incite that or did that predate Rocky? No, actually, that's probably one of the reasons why. I mean, it was, it was kind of a perfect storm that a lot of events happened. Uh, not, not, I mean, you know, I'm not alone. Rocky, everybody, a lot of people my age and around that era loved Rocky. You know, it, was, sure. it, was, it meant a lot. But for me, my dad was a boxer, uh, amateur boxer, and um, he loved boxing. And so he and I would watch boxing. So there was that. And then there was also I came of age as Muhammad Ali was becoming the most popular, loved mm. person on the planet. I'm too young to have any memories of him as a controversial figure. You know, mm, I, I learned about that later looking mm. back. But at the time, you know, I was like eight or nine years old when he beat George Foreman and rewon, wow. which was just Is a it- couple of years before Rocky came out. So, so there was that, there was Ali, there was my, yeah. my dad. And then the other thing that happened is, um, and I didn't know about, I didn't really realize this until later when I was thinking about it. Um, my parents had split up, mm. uh, just a couple months before, but you know, every once in a while I'd get together and for dinner, dad had come over. So he said, Hey, let's go see a movie. So the three of us went and saw Rocky mm. and I mm. loved it. And then that was the last time the three of us ever did anything as a family. Just wow. Three of us. Oh, wow. Wow. Um, and so I think that, and then a week later I was, I think I was telling my dad, you know, cause I loved Rocky and we were talking about that all week. And then I saw this other movie and I was trying to tell my dad about this movie. I like, I forget what it was, probably some science fiction thing. And uh, obviously he wasn't thrilled with what I was saying. <laughs> so at one point he said, why are you tell me about that dumb movie? Rocky's the best movie you've seen in a long time. And I thought, yeah, Rocky is the best movie I've seen. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. And then when That's I was, awesome. and then there was a, a, a store called movie madness when mm-hmm. I was, uh, when I was a kid and they sold uh, lobby cards and movie posters. And I used mm-hmm. to go there all the time. So I had, Stallone everywhere in oh, my wow. room. You know, in fact, I had uh, like the sliding glass door that led out to a patio, and I knew I was never going to use the patio. So instead of curtains, I got this like Paradise Alley billboard. <laughs> 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 I had it hanging on the on the window. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's amazing! That awesome. I'm so glad you're here. Reed, uh, how would your top three compare to Keith's? Just like so, I uh, I will I will tip my hat to Creed is also. Uh, my favorite besides the first one. Uh, and, and honestly, if I'm being transparent, 
maybe because I saw it in the theater and so the energy around it. If Creed might even top the first Rocky for me, just you know, there's a lot of uh, just sort of contemporary like you like. Getting you want me to mute him, Keith? Should we? <laughs> wow. um, boot, we should boot him I, I can't boot. fail him anymore. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's that's right. Right. I can I'll say what I want you. now. <laughs> I can say what I want now. Um, but uh, <laughs> the, screw uh, you, creepo. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. God, that's perfect. Um, but uh, so I'm going to tip my hat to to Creed, and also that Rocky Balboa was the first of the Rocky movies that I got to see in the theater. I went to see it Christmas Day, uh, the year it came out, um, and and very very much loved it. I remember the fight sequence when the training montage came so up good. in that one uh in rocky balboa um the uh somebody in my theater yelled out this is what i'm paying my 10 bucks for <laughs> like it was like so a lot of energy around it it was great so i love those but i also want to give some love so i would say creed's probably top for me um and then i also want to give some love to rocky three and rocky two and like keith had said i usually will put rocky three above rocky two but recently i rewatched it and my affection for Rocky II just ballooned. I really uh, loved this rewatch quite a bit. Um, without going into too many details, I do want to just like throw some love onto Rocky II, um, throw some love onto Rocky Balboa, but I want to spend maybe like two minutes talking about why I love Rocky III so much because there is some silliness in it. There's some cartoonishness in it. Um, Rocky, the character, fights Thunderlips, played by Hulk Hogan. I mean, it's like it, it, it's a little silly in places. But one of my favorite things about it as a narrative rhythm is Rocky 1 and Rocky 2 feature Mickey as his trainer, period. And Mickey is still his trainer in the beginning of Rocky 3. Um, huge spoiler for Rocky 3, but maybe not so much if you've seen Creed, um, is that in the course of Rocky 3, he's fighting Clubber Lang, played by Mr. T. And through the course of those events, Mickey is getting older and Mickey is dying. And literally right before Rocky is about to go out and fight Clubber Lang, uh, Mickey has a heart attack, so he can't be in his corner. So Rocky's spending his whole match like worried about that. And then uh, shortly thereafter, Mickey dies. Um, and so it's really devastating in the narrative moment. But what I love so much about Rocky three, I never the first time through it, I never would have seen this coming. The person who then comes out of the shadows to sort of pick Rocky back up and send him on his way to say, hey, you know, like you need to get the eye of the tiger back is Apollo Creed. Apollo Creed seeks Rocky out and says, I want to train you to come to come back and and to beat, actually beat Clubber Lang, to get your eye of the tiger back. And the way that that's so uh, humanized Apollo Creed as a character and the way that it took, you know, he, he could have just continued to be this arrogant blowhard of a character who then just went for the title himself. Like, oh, I'm going to reclaim glory now that Rocky is like down and out. But the fact that he like sees this thing in Rocky and and goes after him, yeah, sure, you can quibble about the believability, but I just love that so much about that character, and I love that so much about that installment, and that this franchise does that with Apollo Creed, um, and I, I think it's it's really uh, something special that that is the position that Carl Weathers' ver version of that character and um, that that character writ large sort of looms over the story. So it's Creed. Now, remind me, me. I'm sorry. Go, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say it's Creed for me, and then it's, it's probably Rocky Three after that. Uh, although I do love Rocky Two and Rocky Balboa. Go ahead. Um, <clears throat> does because because the film the the first Creed Apollo has passed away. Is that correct? Yes, because yeah. he he dies in Part Four. He dies. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So and he and he actually dies fighting. Part Four is not a great movie. It's it's super popcorn eighties like guilty pleasure you know mode, but it's like. 
two thirds montage, really heightened absurdist action. It's it's just not a very good movie overall. But in Rocky Four, Apollo Creed dies fighting Ivan Drago, who is Dolph Lundgren. So so literally, Ivan Drago kills Apollo Creed in the ring just by boxing him to death, and yet somehow Rocky is able to go to Russia where he doesn't have proper training, doesn't have, you know, whatever else. And then he comes back and not only beats uh, Ivan Drago, but, you know, ends the Cold War. It's really like, it's, <laughs> I mean, like, basically, yeah, there, there is a wonderful, I, I mentioned this to read the other day. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen ESPN does these 30 for 30. They're like little uh-huh. mini sports I'm documentaries. Yep. They did a fake one on uh, a mockumentary, a mockumentary 30 for 30 on the, on the Rocky Balboa, Ivan Drago fight. It's hysterical. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Well, um, I, I want us to, to uh, uh, head towards uh, the the ascending the steps. But before we do, I, I want to throw out my own here is Creed, of course. I, I would say Rocky, of course, since those are primarily the only two I've seen. But I don't know if y'all are familiar with, you know, occasionally in horror, they'll do these mashup like Freddy versus Jason. There was a little offshoot, I think, um, early, early 90s or so. It was it was um, Reed, you mentioned how much of a send up the series gets, but this was the <laughs> Rocky and Bullwinkle. <laughs> no, no. Oh, I thought I you were talking you... about grudge match. <laughs> no, I knew no, you were, I no, know. no, no, that's a real movie. I know when Nathan's building up to some <laughs> bit that he has given at least oh, a certain hokey degree of thought. Smoke, Bullwinkle. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was great. Hey, that's the best one. What do you put the baby over to my head? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> see, I told you. <laughs> you but, sound you know, just last, like him. last year because we. This was actually the second time I binged this series because we actually, my wife and I binged it uh, when COVID started, when the pandemic started, mm-hmm. and uh, so yeah, we did the Rocky movies with Creed, but then we went really deep. We did Grudge Match and Chuck. Oh wow! <laughs> so, you did Chuck, no, the documentary yeah, about the. It's uh, not a documentary. It's a movie. It's uh, oh. uh, Lee Ev Schreiber plays Chuck Weppner, who's the he's okay. the boxer that. Um, it was his fight with Muhammad Ali that inspired Muhammad Ali to, or, or Sylvester Stallone to write Rocky. So yeah, what is I had heard about it. Grudge so, match. Yeah, go ahead. It, grudge yeah. match is it came out after Rocky Balboa. So both these guys are in their 60s and it's Sylvester Stallone and Robert De Niro, the stars, of the two great boxing movies. And they're playing these. It's a comedy. and They're playing these two old fighters. And when they were younger, they had they hated each other and they they fought twice and they won one apiece. And then the Stallone character retired before there would be a third fight. So for like 30 years, people. So now these they're doing this like novelty fight where they're going to get these two old guys to fight. <laughs> well, you know, what's amazing and how this joke ties itself off is Robert De Niro was uh, in Rocky and Bullwinkle. <laughs> the yeah, live action he one. really was. And yeah. there we go. All right. <laughs> so I want us to head towards uh, the, the film proper and Keith, you've already alluded to this a little bit, but. Um, you know, if there's more you want to say, you know, for guests we've had during what saves us, uh, giving you the floor, at least momentarily. And again, if you feel like it's redundant to what you've already shared, that's okay too. We can go into the film, but I wanted to invite you to share, were there more thoughts or notes you wanted to, uh, kind of weave in at this point, as we head into the the proper Rocky film of, of why for you, this would be a, a kind of what saves us candidate. Um, yeah, I mean, I think probably a lot of people are familiar with this. If you're not, it's an amazing story, but just the, the story of how Rocky got made is mm. it's a Hollywood legend in and of itself. Um, so 
Sylvester Stallone, he had a pregnant wife and he was down to the last couple dollars and it was his birthday. So he said, well, I know times are tougher now, but for my, I'm, I'm going to splurge and for I'm going to take 15 bucks out of my savings account. I'm going to go watch Ma- this Muhammad Ali fight on closed circuit television. They didn't have pay-per-view back then. You know, you had to go to a movie theater and it would be streamed for from the satellite. Uh-huh. And uh, it was Muhammad Ali fighting Chuck Wepner. Chuck Wepner was this guy not given a chance at all. It wasn't quite as down and out as Rocky Balboa was. He was a contender. He was a fighter, but he was called the Bayonne Bleeder because he could be bled so much when he, when, when you fought him wow. and uh, everyone thought Ali was going to knock him out. I think it might've been his first title defense after he beat George Foreman and, uh, and Chuck Wepner actually lasted into the 15th round. He didn't make it the distance. He got knocked out in the last round, mm. but just everybody just kind of everybody. Whoa, what a great performance. This guy that nobody gave a shot to. And that inspired him to go home and write Rocky. And then he was at an audition that uh, Robert Chartoff and Erwin Winkler were the uh, they were running this audition and they said, oh, we don't really have anything for you. But, you know, if you if you have anything, come back to us. We like you. And he's walking out the door. And he says, oh, by the way, I write. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Like, and he told him about the script for Rocky that he was working on. They said, we'd love to see that. So he brought it to him and they just everybody loved this script. Mm. Now, you got to imagine this is a guy with nothing in the bank pregnant wife baby on the way he had to sell his dog mm-hmm. he had yeah. to sell butkus right and uh oh. the dog in the movie the dog yeah. that's that's, that's really dog. stallone's dog yeah. yeah so he had to sell butkus because he couldn't afford to keep butkus anymore mm-hmm. and uh they loved the script so much they said well we'll offer you seventy five thousand dollars for it and he said well that's great but i want to play rocky and they said no we're offering you $75,000 and we're going to get, and we'll get a star. We'll get like Ryan O'Neill or you know, Robert Redford, somebody, you know, some, some big star to, to do it. He goes, no, I want to play Rocky. Okay. $150,000. Wow. This is 1975. Right. <laughs> it goes up to $300,000. Wow. Yeah, and he goes home and he's, talks to his wife and says, I really don't know what to do. That's a lot of money. Cause it wasn't just $300,000, pretty much a guaranteed career as a screenwriter. Sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And finally, she, she said, no, I think you should stick to your guns. You know, if this is really what you want to do. And so he goes in and says, guys, I'd rather burn this script than see someone else play this part. Wow. And uh, they said, OK, so they gave him scale. <laughs> they gave him scale for the screenplay and scale as an actor. And they went on to, you know, the rest is history. But wow, yeah. he had the it guts was the to highest- stick to that. Yeah, that's right. And it wound up being the highest grossing movie of 1976. It won Best Picture at the Oscars. Um, one of my favorite stories about that is that at the screening, um, Stallone brought his mother to the screening. And when the movie was over, so the movie films, the movie was over. And this is the way <clears throat> Stallone tells the story. The movie was over and they're sitting like up in the balcony, he and his mother. The movie was over and everybody's quiet. Like every, everything is like super quiet and everybody leaves. Everybody just sort of gets up and they leave. And they walk out in the lobby. And again, this is the way Stallone tells the story. He said that he and his mother just sort of got, he was a little crestfallen. He was like, man, maybe they didn't like it. You know, like, uh, you know, I'm really proud of it. I'm really proud of what we did, you know, whatever. He walks out and then he and his mother walk out. When they walk out of the balcony, everybody is waiting in the lobby and they just erupt into applause when he and his mom uh, step out onto the balcony. And then he looks down at his mom and says, how could you ever doubt me, ma? You know, like, (laughs) it's just, it's just a really like everything. And then he threw her from the train. 
<laughs> that's a different movie so um but no like everything around just the the uh, there, there's there's almost a and i i'm not saying this because it's like this show or like try to take this like it almost sometimes seems like like if rocky didn't exist like something else would have come along to like force it to it almost seems like there's a like a spiritual prerogative that a story like this would would be in the world and be what it is i i think the time was right for a feel-good movie you know, mm, because this yeah. was at a time when everything was the anti-hero. You know, this is Death Wish was popular and Dirty mm. Harry was popular. All these very dark movies. And then Stallone comes. And Rocky originally was dark. In the first draft, he dies at the end. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Mickey was like a bitter old racist. And right. Yeah. Like, yeah. And so it's like he wrote the original script in like three days. But the version that he sold to Shartoff and Winkler had gone through like seven or eight revisions at that yeah. point like he had reworked it several times so by the time he gives it to them it's it, it is kind of floor ready as evidenced right. by how you know much money they were willing to throw at it um but yeah well, it's it, it's really cool yeah it sounds like um you know the way you've described it reed and, and keith you just invoked this that there's just something incredibly i don't know right about rocky and and it, if if i could wager a statement that it's just i don't know that's so right. It's just so right. It's just so right. That's just so right. It's just so right. Absolutely. So let us discuss. Is it Avildsen? Ableton? John Avildsen. Yeah, 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 yeah. Avildsen. Um, Avildsen's film. Who also. Rocky. Hmm. Uh, it was probably only time it'll be worth mentioning. Also directed the original Karate Kid, Karate Kid, and Karate Kid Two. He might have even huh. done three, but he he directed the original Karate Kid. He as well. did do and three because I remember watching three and thinking like, "What in the world <laughs> was happened? someone smoking <laughs> this same right. creative team?" Anyway, but um, but yeah. So so, Keith, uh, uh, this is the segment of the show where um, in our traditional horror content that ain't right gets flipped on its head to that's so right. These are these are things, and we. I, I don't think this is putting you on the spot. If it is, we can start with Reed or myself and uh, not you, but it's your film selection. So I want to give you the floor here where, you know, if you were to pitch a craft element, uh, uh, a thematic element, um, kind of any, any facet of the film that you're like, this is the thing I would point to and call it. That's so right. Yeah. What might be one of those? Well, things. when you know, when Reed I, when Reed told me about this, I actually came up with three. <laughs> hey, oh. you know, we'll start with one, and then we'll cycle oh, back and get to you. All right, you want to again because it's do your the top one. Do the top, do the top one. one. Yeah, you get to pick. So your top it's a little one. bit of a cheat because there's actually a lot of stuff going on. So there's a lot of little moments going on. That's all right, it, it all takes place in ninety seconds, mm, and that's okay. the last ninety seconds of the movie. Okay, mm. because so much wonderful stuff happens in that. I mean, for just from the from the final bell, you know, where Apollo was on his feet about to go out and the bell rings and we hear nothing. There's no music. There's no crowd. We just they're clenched together and we just hear Apollo say, ain't going to be no rematch. Ain't going to mm. be no rematch. And Rocky says, don't want one. Wow. <laughs> yeah. right? And what does that say about those two men? So. Ignore the fact that the other movies exist and Rocky goes on to become the greatest fighter that ever lived <laughs> yeah, yeah. in the universe. <laughs> when the, the whole point was he can't win. That's the whole point of the first movies. He can't win. Um, but you, you do get the idea at the end of this movie. Neither of these guys is ever going to be the same. They really did just leave everything 
they had mm-hmm. in that ring. Mm-hmm. And so that ain't going to be no rematch. Don't want one sets it up. And then right after that, boom, 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 that big rousing music comes up. The crowd's going nuts. The reporters storm the room and they're all going, Rocky, what was this? How do you feel? And all he wants, this man has just had the greatest, most significant achievement in his life. And it doesn't mean anything to him unless he can share it with the woman he loves. And all he's doing is Adrian, but Rocky went, yeah, yeah, Adrian, Adrian. We see Adrian fighting to get to the ring. Rocky, Mm. Rocky, Rocky. And then as all this is going on, and here's where I think the brilliance of John Avildsen and the editors come in. In any other sports movie, what would they do? They would linger on that ring announcer. Mm. Judge does, does this, judge. And this is afterthought. All the, the, the announcer and announcing the decision who won the fight is in the background. If you don't listen really carefully, you don't know Rocky lost the fight. Yeah, right. You know, you have mm-hmm. to really listen to hear that Apollo gets that decision. Rocky, Adrian's coming in. Another great moment as she's getting to the ring, there's Paulie at the ropes because he's trying to get into the ring. Mm-hmm. And after all this conflict, <clears throat> all this conflict between Paulie and his sister, you know, and where they screamed at each other and threatened each other. And she ran out to go live with Rocky. He reaches back as he's fighting this police officer, pulls the ring rope up so that yeah. Adrian can get in and get into the ring. Yeah. And then Adrian's rushing in and somewhere along the way, she lost her hat. And after <laughs> all of this, Adrian, Adrian, I want Adrian. You know, he looks at her. Where's your hat? which is funny in and of itself but then you think how sweet is it that he remembers he just went through hell his face is beaten and bruised and he's in pain he remembers she was wearing a hat and now she's not wearing one yeah how sweet is that Mm. yeah i've always said this is not a sports movie it's not a boxing movie it's a love story in the world of boxing the other Mm. movies are sports movies this is a love story and the very the very last line, they get together. What is she say? I love you. I love you. And they hug mm-hmm. and that music swells up and goes into that great freeze frame. Yeah. So I think that last 90 seconds is just absolutely amazing. That's, That's incredible. Awesome. If, Reed, if you'll let me jump in here, because something yeah, really cute yeah. through mm-hmm. in there pivots into, you know, if I were to choose just one and we can cycle through again, if we want to, um, because of the energy, but remember that. I think I said this it's, it's been years and Keith, I don't know how voraciously you consume the fear of God. You won't offend me if it's not very much, but a thing that recurs is my, uh, increasingly poor memory for what I have or haven't seen like, Oh, I know Rocky. I think I watched it at one point. I, you know, I've it's heard those conversations. Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember them. Reed just tells me they happened <laughs> after the fact, but, um, you know, Rocky, the IP, uh, uh, engine and, you know, read you reference the middle entries being so, uh, action heavy montage, heavy. Like I, I think, I think someone, and cause this happened to me, I think someone who thinks they un- know what they're going to get in this first film, again, this happened to me at least will find themselves very surprised mm-hmm. by what they get because I think for my, and I've got a number of candidates here but i think for me that that's so right that the topmost the most right of that so right is just how thoughtful it is it Mm. is a very deliberate 
and and I knew sketches of the Stallone story, you know, the the genesis of the film. But again, you're thinking, oh, I've got to pin my star as an actor to this this major character. It really isn't that. Like this is not that style of movie. And you just framed it well, right. Keith. It's not a sports movie. It's a it's a love story inside of in the world of sports. And and it wasn't yes, the love story is beautiful, but I was just so it's funny. I mean, mm-hmm. the script is sharp. I mean, there are places where I was like, that's a, that's a really fun little bit he just did. You know, I, mm. I, I think I'm just so used to the Stallone we know of, of the, the last decade plus or more or whatever, that to see this very sensitive character, I mean, exemplified, um, you know, I, I'm referring to a, a film tone but it's but it's represented well in the exchange he and adrian have it's not the it is the skating rink i think i mean that seems beautiful but what i'm referring to specifically is the um body without brains brains without body yeah thematic mm-hmm. note like that's what this movie is is about it's about the the physical and the and the spiritual it's about engaging these facets of ourselves and the need to have have that recognition and I, I don't know i just found really lovely the unexpected discovery of this is a very thoughtful deliberate intentional mm-hmm. caringly made story being told uh yeah and I, was re- I was really surprised but but in- enamored with that can i uh backing oh go ahead Reed. oh no no you you keith you're the guest uh, you uh but the, that whole uh you weren't born with much of a much brain so you better develop your body was actually something that stallone's father said to him wow wow and i think it's mm. telling that i think that's the only mention of a parent for him mm. and uh, i think there's a, he's he goes through a lot of this movie looking for a father image uh i mm. think at first it's mr gazzo yeah you know, right it's the, mm-hmm. the lone shark because i mean in that scene where mr gazzo's kind of chewing him out for not breaking the guy's thumbs you know mm. rocky looks like a kid you know, he's not looking him in the eye. He can't look at him. He's yeah. looking around, yeah. you know, yeah. and then, yeah. uh, you know, later on, of course, with Mickey, Mickey becomes kind of a, a second father to father him. figure to him. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. It, it, that, that, that wonderful scene where we think Mickey's just mean for the sake of being mean. And he says, why? Why did you do this? He's screaming. And you tell me right now why? And then he says, mm-hmm. I tell you why you had the talent to become a good fighter. And instead, you became a light breaker for a cheap second rate loan shark. Yeah. And then yeah. Rocky just totally backs down and says well it's a living you know it's a waste mm-hmm. of life so what is that he's disappointed in him is there anything sure. worse than a father's disappointment yeah oh man i don't know ask my children <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one that's a good one well and and, and i'd like to piggyback a couple of it because you mentioned the yeah. ice skating rink the ice skating rink w- was a candidate of on my list of that so right moments and <laughs> so lovely and the so what's really cool that scene originally had like you know like 30 plus extras in it oh more than that and it was supposed to be hundreds oh really oh yeah, wow it was so, supposed to be filled with with ice with skaters. people yeah and so then when they get there there's like one extra and so stallone like right there in the moment retools the scene that's amazing and it's so perfect it's so yeah. wonderful because it's, it's much just better a pair this way. of them yeah absolutely and it's such a love it, it, i mean probably one of the most romantic singular scenes in uh, you know in in cinema history probably and it's just it's really wonderful um something else that i think you talk about the deliberateness of it and the thoughtfulness of it 
something that I love and good God, the brilliance of the actor Burgess Meredith, like Burgess Meredith is just a wonderful, wonderful actor, legendary <laughs> actor, you know? <laughs> yeah. Especially for penguin, you know, but um, he's, you know, that moment where Keith already referenced the moments where, where he like tells Rocky why he's pushing him out. But then when Rocky gets the chance to fight Apollo Creed, Mickey comes back to him and that whole sequence is so yeah. brilliant because he comes back to him and he's begging, but that he's, he, he wants to train Rocky. And of course, Rocky is still a bit bitter because like, well, you, you pushed me out to your point, Keith, he's still acting like a child. He's acting like a mm -hmm. spurned child. Or like, I, you know, I, I, no, I don't, I don't want anything to do with you. And there's this moment. There's two moments I want to highlight in that, in that specific scene, the whole of which is brilliant. Um, but that one scene where Rocky goes into the bathroom and closes himself in the bathroom. And then Mickey is trying to still talk to him through the door, but then there's a moment and then just huge props to the craft of Burgess Meredith. There's that moment where he says, I'm 76 years old. And then he just like collapses against mm. the door. Like just for a second, his head just like hits the door. Cause he's like, I'm 76 years old. Like you can feel the weight in just that line of how much life is behind this guy, how much pain, how much disappointment, how much everything is behind him. And he sees this as an opportunity to maybe do something good, maybe do something special. I don't think Mickey wants to be like famous or anything, but he sees a chance to really make something worthwhile. And, and, and it all just collapses. So that moment is powerful in and of itself. And then as Mickey is walking away, Rocky is like yelling at him about all of this stuff that he's mad at and it stinks and this all stinks. And Mickey's like making his way down the stairs, listening to him. And that moment is so charged and it's so electric with the, with the energy of these characters and the energy of those actors, but it is brilliant. I say absolute, a stroke of genius that then when Mickey makes it out, then we see after just the right amount of beats, Rocky runs out after him. And I think it is a pure stroke of genius that we don't get to hear the exchange yeah, it's so between good. Rocky and Mickey. But we know exactly what they're talking about. We know what they're talking about. We can right. see it. It humanizes Rocky. It humanizes him. It, it, it elevates him and his heart. You know, it's, it's a wonderful grace note for Mickey after all that they've just exchanged. And we're just not privy to the details because you can't really effectively write something like that. Anything else right. would have probably felt cheap would have probably felt lesser, but just seeing them at a distance and knowing what they're talking about is enough. And it's a, it's a beautiful, it moment. is, it's a brilliant it's, scene. It's, well, it's really so funny. Keith, occasionally on the show, we talk about reading. I will joke about the experience of watching a movie and something. So kind of transcendent happens in the movie that you kind of look around, like did anybody else see that? You know, it's like, <laughs> right. I think of the really dumb, but it's really funny meme of Leo DiCaprio, I think from Wolf of Wall Street, where he's pointing at the TV screen. That's uh, from Once Upon a Time at. in Hollywood. Yeah. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I did see that one. But um, I think about that with, or I felt that way with the resolution of that scene, because not just is it the brilliance of the us, us, the viewer not being privy to their conversation. It's also just the framing of the shot. Yeah. It's you've had this very chaotic volatile emotionally charged exchange it's very intimate and very claustrophobic uh, uh right outside the bathroom there or whatever room it is uh and then there's this massive wide shot you know framed down the 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 lane there rocky comes out walks out of frame and and a lesser director would have inserted a cut a close-up there and, mm -hmm. and gotten us closer to the action and so the longer it stood the longer it was there I was more, the more i was like Oh, you did it. You did yeah. it. This is great. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and thank God, moment. you know, because for years we couldn't really appreciate that. 
You know, mm-hmm. it really took the advent of widescreen televisions and high definition mm-hmm. uh, DVDs and high definition streaming. Because for years, if you didn't see it in a theater, you'd see it on regular broadcast television. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, or on VHS, where it's sure. not letterboxed, it's square. And you're watching it on a tube TV with not a lot of resolution. And for years, we we remembered how powerful that scene, everything you just mentioned, we right, remembered right. how great that scene was, but you couldn't see it on television. Wow. It just got lost. But mm. now because we have widescreen television and high definition, uh, the brilliance of that scene comes back. And I, I actually noticed um, in, in these last couple of times I'm watching it, just how he does. Avelson does that a lot. He's cap- he's com- very comfortable with these very long, wide shots. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a scene where, you know, Rocky and little Marie, Yep. Are I wrote that down. Yeah. The, he's walking That's around from the site, you know, and it's they start off so far back, and he kind of walks to the camera, and then walking Adrian home after the 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 date at the skating rink. That's a yeah. big wide shot that he's yeah. walking her down the sidewalk. Yeah, um, no, it's wonderful, and because uh, it, it breathes, it literally breathes. Yes. Like you, you've yeah. got room, and uh, and and it also what I love about it. I don't know how intentional this was, and I'm sorry. Then I'll I'll shut up about it. But like it shows the. The uh, I'm, I'm trying to frame this the right way. The insignificance of them as mm. pe- they're not larger than life. They are yeah. real people That's great. on a real street, on a real thing, and they're having a real moment. And I don't know if that was part of the intention, but that's the feeling you get from it. It's like, no, mm-hmm. this this is all very, very real. This is all the thing that would happen. And tighter shots would have burst that illusion if there were Absolutely. too many of them. You know, But just letting it all breathe uh, just reinforces that. No, these are this is all very very real and i just i'd love that about it let's um read if it's okay with you we'll let keith do another that's all right and then we'll go into sure. other things yeah keith no, what, what you it. mentioned yeah. three we may have touched on some other ones but is there yeah. another one you'd like to yeah out? so so let me talk about a few moments that lead up to this moment because sure. i think it, yeah you have to so i think that um rocky is instinctively a good person you're talking about this is a what saves us Thing. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he is kind of a savior. I don't think he sees himself that way. I think he sees himself as worthless. And, mm, and I'll bum. talk about that's what I'm going to talk about in a second. But he does forgive Mickey when he doesn't have to. Mm-hmm. You know, there's that wonderful shot where he's coming in and he just picks this guy sleeping out in the cold, picks him up and carries him into the bar. Yeah. And puts him yeah. down in the so he can be warm. And all the scenes where he doesn't want Paulie to get mixed up with Gazzo. Yeah, because yeah. he doesn't want his friend. Says, I'm, I'm a bum. That's what I do. You don't have to do that. I don't want you to do that. I'm going to protect mm-hmm. you from that. So he is kind of a protector. Um, so, but this this idea of worthlessness. And I just want to mention a few, um, just a few things that lead up to it. Right away, the first fight, he wins. Right, mm-hmm. it's an ugly fight. You know, he gets fouled and he puts the guy down and is slamming his fist in him with, with when the guy's down. But mm-hmm. he does win, and he gets out of there and it's dirty. His trunks are dirty. He's bleeding. He gets a cigarette. You know, and this mm-hmm. from from the from the the from the darkness, this woman screams, "You're a bum!" And he just <sighs> looks. So there's all these scenes where people say bad things about him, and he either reacts with hurt or violence or resignation. So there's a you know, buddy, the, the the gangster that drives Mr. Gazzo around. Hey, yeah. meathead, you know, I'll break your yeah. thumbs. He, mm-hmm. And um, uh, Marie saying, screw you, creepo. He goes, yeah, who right. are you to give advice, creepo? And then there's mm-hmm. this one of my favorite shots in the movie is when he's at the pet shop. So he's, yeah. he's reacting to those because he knows it's true, or at least he, he believes it's true. Mm-hmm. All these things that people say about him. 
And there's this beautiful shot in the, in the pet where the camera, he's talking to Adrian and the birds are flying and the camera pans over to a mirror. And just as it's hitting the mirror and Rocky's staying into the mirror, every other block, there's a creep. He's mm. calling himself a creep. Right. Wow. You know, wow. maybe the dialogue's not doing that, but that's certainly the impression. Why, why else have that? that be the one line that's in sure. the mirror and then he goes back. Yeah. So there's all this self-doubt. Now that leads up to this, that's so right moment that I have. He goes into Jurgen's, Mr. Jurgen's office, and he thinks he's going to be a sparring partner. And he's saying, Oh, oh it'd be oh, great. Yeah. I'd be an honor to spar with the champ. And the minute he starts talking about sparring, Mr. Jurgens is looking at him like, You really think I'd bring you into my office for this? You know, <laughs> <laughs> and he says, No, Rocky, I want to uh, would you be willing to fight Apollo Creed for the heavyweight championship of the world? <laughs> and all of a sudden you just see he just deflates and it's like you see all this and it, I, it's one of my favorite moments acting moments of sylvester stallone i think it rivals what he does in uh in creed when they tell him he has cancer and he says that's what my wife did my wife tried mm. all that you know? mm. yeah, this, but yeah. this moment where he just deflates and he realizes his own worthlessness and the enormity of what he's being offered and how badly he does not deserve it and he just deflates and in one word just says no oh man mm. that to me is one of my favorite moments it, and it, it's set up by all these other moments of yeah how he's reacting yeah. when other people have called him names but he knows it's true no absolutely absolutely i have some i have some thoughts on that but if you want to nathan we can we can pivot formally out of the the that's so right segment and dig into some depths Let's get out Hit of it, Andrew. That's just so right. All right. I do want to throw out real quick before your yeah. s- seriousness, Reed. Uh, 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 that ain't right. And that is, what? I felt my brother Balboa that first time he attempted to run the stairs. I was like, I'm with you, brother. That <laughs> is me. I get you. <laughs> Weezing oh and hu- yeah. hunched over. And oh, man. he's hurting. labored breathing, clutching his side. I'm like, yeah, uh-huh. that's so right. That ain't he right. Hurting. But I think sorry, that's go like, ahead, Reed. No, 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 it's okay. But it's like, you know, Keith, you eliminated this moment so effectively. I think that's one of the things that this viewing particularly stood out to me the most is how much conversation there is around bums and losers and people who, you know, like we've been spending a lot of time on Rocky, but you know, like Adrian, when she lets loose on Polly, you know, like all my life, you made me feel like a loser and I'm not a loser. You know, like there's so much in the, the, the undercurrent of this story about people who do not feel. And you mentioned earlier talking about Burt Young's interpretation of Polly. Polly is just saturated with self-loathing as a character. And, uh, and I feel like that's something that really gets at this film in a way that, um, that, that I hadn't quite picked up on until preparing for this conversation. Don't even know that I'm going to be able to, you know, concisely express it, but just there's so much, uh, it, it hits this home so much about these people who do not feel like they deserve any of this. They do not feel like they deserve any good shot that they want, any good thing that they want. They don't feel like they deserve it. And it, you know, it comes into stark realization for Rocky as a character when the night before the fight, he sits there. What he wants is he says, like, I want to I want to go the distance. I want to like, that's what I want to do. Nobody's ever gone the distance with with Creed. Nobody's ever gone all 15 rounds is what he means. He's like, and if I do that, I'll know I'm not a bum. 
I'll know like I'm not a bum. And like, it's something that I was thinking about. I would kind of maybe offer this as a, uh, maybe a question to the pair of you, but if just like, like, I guess, and this is, uh, I'll express the question as I thought it. And then we can, if you need me to unpack it further, I can with this repeated sort of refrain of just like bum and loser and everything in your life telling you that, I guess I want to know for myself and from each of you, like, what is one thing that you would point to that you'd be like, you know what, if I had a shot and maybe, maybe it's something that you have had that it has happened to you. And so you can talk from that angle or maybe something that you're still hoping for or longing for or wanting or whatever. What's something that, you know, for yourself, if you like, if, if I had a shot at this, if I, if I could just get an opportunity to do X, or if I could just get an opportunity to do Y, then I would know that I had something in me that were, that was really like of a, a, a value. Like I could prove it to myself or I could, you know, I could really go the distance. I guess that's really the question is what's one thing that you would love to like go the distance on. And I don't just mean like endurance achievement or whatever, what's something for you. And I know for me, it was like, and, and this, this was an experience that I, that I had, um, and so like, I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm like done or anything, but I really wanted to write a movie. Like that, that was really the big thing that I wanted to do. Like I, I wanted a chance to write a movie. There's, there's tons of screenplays in like all kinds of trunks of, of people. Lots of people have that dream. I'm not even saying that like what eventually came of it is all that spectacular or everything. But when I got the chance, uh, when my buddy Doug was wanting to make a movie and then he hired me on to write, uh, you know, the, the life of Christ film that has been scantily referenced on the, on the show here and there. Um, like that to me was a very big deal. Cause I was like, I can pour myself into this. It doesn't even so much matter how many people see it. It doesn't even so much matter, like how successful it is. Like, I just wanted to know that I could do it and that, that it could, it could be there and it could go out into the world. And I'm not saying I would have felt like an utter, disaster and loser if I hadn't done that. But that was one thing for me that I really wanted to pour myself into. And I'm curious if that sparks anything from either of the pair of you of something that you would want to go the distance on. Uh, Keith, you got something? Yeah, well, actually, uh, I mean, just in terms of a pipe dream, I think if I could go back and <clears throat> not that I've lived my life with a lot of regrets, but I, um, I'd like to have been a comic book writer. You know, I'd, uh, even if it wasn't like to make my living out of, it, I wish I could have just gone back and kind of learned that craft a little bit. And, and, you know, like Stephen King says, write every day, you know, and just, mm, just, just, yeah. just do that. Uh, I don't think I would have been, I don't think I would have been a great novelist, but I think I, I, I think I could have been a good comic book writer. Uh, in terms of times, things that I've actually done, you two, uh, you two figure into one of those. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that is our Richard the uh, third. Oh, wow. That was that was a concept I had for years, but it was always just kind of like a, a pipe dream. It was like, hey, wouldn't it be cool? I, I got this cool concept that I'd like to try. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I was, I think I was in eating lunch with some of the other faculty at Gardner Webb, and uh, some of the English people just thought that was horrible. <laughs> I do <laughs> wow. not want to hear the beautiful language of Shakespeare done, you know, uh, in. Jersey accent. Oh, for those people that don't know, we, we set yeah. third in the mafia for people that are listening to this don't know. Yep. Um, and uh, so as soon as they said that, and I really became convinced, I thought it would work. And mm-hmm. uh, I sat down, I, I cut the script. I came up with, you know, concepts for every scene. Uh, and, and I was very, I don't think I've ever had a production. I was more proud of in terms of from going from concept to execution 
when I look at the go back and look at the uh, tape, there are things in my performance because I, I directed it and I played Richard and you two were both in it. And Reed mm-hmm. did an amazing sound design as well as a, a <laughs> I did have fun with it. I did. have. And uh, I think there's things, a lot of things I changed about my particular performance. But in terms of the execution of the production, uh, I mean, I don't think I've ever been happier with uh, mm. I really. So that's the sense where I, th- I felt I went the distance on that, you know, and yeah, it went yeah. from just being kind of like. It'd be cool to do someday uh, yeah. to, to really going through and having just just laying out every how every scene would fit into that concept. And yeah, I was I was very happy with it. Now, I'm not well, just saying uh, this. Uh, oh, please read. Go ahead. Go no, ahead. I was just going to say, I'm not just saying this because you brought that up in my time. We had a moment last week where I could barely even I couldn't remember much about Midsummer Night's Dream, which I believe you also directed. Um, and I couldn't I couldn't remember much about that production. Richard III still ranks as the favorite show I've been a part of. And I know like you, you gave me a, a, a big shot with, uh, you know, casting me in JB and everything. But in terms of like the, the production that I remember the most about and remember the most fondly writ large, it's actually Richard III. And I'm not just saying that because you brought it up. Like that's something mm-hmm. I've cited before is mm-hmm. I just had just a hell of a time, like so much fun on that production, so much surrounding it. Uh, it was just a really unique energy to that kind of production. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, it, it definitely rings really high in my mind. As, uh, and so, yeah, applause, applause. I did. I did want to mention, Keith, you you brought up something that's been on my mind for a couple of decades now, and that's your performance in Richard the Third and some of the things that we would have corrected, you know, <laughs> if uh, if we could go back in time and, yeah. and adjust your performance. Uh, no, what am I talking about? I can't remember yesterday, much less 20 years ago. Um, well, actually, one of them, I think Reed tried to tell me and I, I and I trust Reed. I trust his eye, but I couldn't uh, I couldn't uh, execute it. Oh, I can't. You know, rem- I can't even remember. It, it was, what that the, was. The, the scene, scene with Lady Anne. Oh, OK. You know, uh, you know, because I always said my concept was he really needs to be passionate and fool Lady Anne and mm. you know, people play him like slimy and I hate that. You know, yeah. like, mm. well, why wouldn't you marry me? You know, <laughs> and I was like, well, <laughs> Lady Anne must be an idiot. Uh, but I think, uh, and I think Reed was saying, he was trying to tell me at the time, I think you're coming on a little strong in that scene. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I, I believed him, but I, I, I couldn't correct it. When I look at the tape, I, I can't, I, I realized I didn't go far enough in trying to correct it. Interesting. And, Interesting. and this is your intervention. <laughs> Here we are to, to talk about that. Um, how would you answer it, Nathan? Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't, uh, um, cause I've thought about some version of what you just asked and, and I really wrestle in my, uh, life of the last several years of these feelings of achievement, accomplishment, you know, success, that sort of thing. And, and I think, I think if I were to, uh, you know, pick something of like, Hey, this is a thing I'm particularly proud of. I don't know that I set out for it to be what it became, which is really a cool thing would be the birth, not the Christmas mm-hmm. show I do, um, you know, which I don't know will happen this year uh, and didn't last year, but we'll, we'll resume at some point. Um, you know, honestly, uh, fatherhood and, and, and marital life come to mind in the spirit of that question, but this is not intended as a dodge more just, I don't have a ton of profound to offer there, but something about your question and it's, it's source point is what rang out to me thematically from the film. And I was just, and Keith, you brought this up um, when you were breaking down those final 90 seconds 
uh, the, the literal resolution of the film is that Rocky does not win. And I think, and maybe the franchise goes this direction as so much of our bombastic American storytelling does of winners and losers of, of, of success and failure. And I think there's something really powerful baked into this narrative that it isn't that accomplishment success mm, sense of self is best untethered from winning or losing but about in the film's phrasing going the distance i was really moved by that this time around because i think i am at that age and and in a phase of life where you do start to think about you know uh if if someone were to hand me my apollo creed fight i might say no and that's a really devastating feeling to experience. And that's a really bold sort of statement there for me, but there's some truth to it. And, and, and just what it means to turn ambition, achievement, accomplishment, success on its head and say, these things don't quite matter. It's about getting in the ring and just going the distance. And even the outcome of, of what occurs in the ring is a bit irrelevant if you can stay standing at its end and be embraced by the person you love. I mean, that's a yeah. really mm. incredibly powerful through line and metaphor that the movie, and again, not knowing exactly where the rest of the franchise goes, but this particular film, it's like an arrow through the, it's just cutting through like this. It's a very direct line from someone with no self-worth learning self-worth doesn't derive from accomplishment but from intimacy and connection and just staying in it and i think there's something really powerful and and instructive at least to me and perhaps y'all can speak to as well uh, instructive to me about how i move through life it's it's not winning and losing it's it's going it's it's, mm -hmm. it's movement it's it's staying on your feet um even when yeah. you're being hammered you know, I think uh, like I, I don't know how much I've referenced him on the show, but my my uncle owns uh, in Fayetteville, North Carolina. He owns a recording studio. My uncle has a beautiful uh, singing voice, and he's written songs. And uh, I don't know a lot of the details of these stories, but but to hear my family talk about it, my my mom's brother, you know, and he's in his seventies now, and uh, and and from what I understand, has turned down multiple offers to like move to Nashville and actually like enter the country and Western music scene and. And, uh, and I can remember, I can't remember how old I was. I was a teenager, but I can remember very distinctly a conversation when we were hanging out at his house. He has a lovely house and he has a recording studio. And again, he is in the industry. Like that is his profession. That's what he does. Um, he rents out this recording studio. He's an engineer and he, uh, you know, actually a uh, music engineer and he will actually, you know, uh, produce records and, and, and do all of that. And then I think it was my mom. This is my memory that I have of it. My mom asking him one time, like, you know, do, do, do you ever wish you could be more successful or do you ever, you know, like, do you ever think that, you know, like you could make it, you know? And I remember in a, in a moment of uh, sort somewhat startling profundity, he said, well, it all depends on what your term, you know, your definition of making it is. He's like, I'm here, beautiful house. I get to do what I want, mostly on my terms. Like I have, I have my family, you know, and it was this, this, 
this confident assurance of like, no, this is what I want to do. Like, this is this is this is where I wanted to be, and this is what I wanted to achieve. Um, and I think the you know we we mentioned almost in passing about. And, and it was in a silly place, the Ted Lasso moment where Jamie Tart says, I'm me, why would I want to be anything else? Mm-hmm. And Lasso says almost, you know, offhandedly, well, I don't think you realize how psychologically healthy that is. Now, this is, this is not the part of the show where we're discussing Ted Lasso, but like building upon that in a much more sincere and non-jokey way. It's like, yeah, I think that really is kind of the goal that it's not so much about, hey, I want to have the, the, the title shot. I want to have like that big thing, you know, uh, what we've referenced are all relatively uh, lo-fi endeavors. You know, like to some people that might be like a really big deal. Oh, you got to stage a, a a theater production. Oh, you got to write a movie. You get to you know produce this. And and so to others that might be a very big deal. I think we would all term it as like something that we're significantly proud of. But it's still in terms of like you know Canada is not talking about my movie. <laughs> you know, like it's and and that you and, know and, of. That I'm aware of. That I'm aware of. There's a when, Facebook group about it. I started. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Very heavy Canada um, contingent. <laughs> but 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 what I'm aiming at for there is like, you know, there's so much about when people want to talk about either their version of going the distance or their version of like making an impact or making a difference. We talked last week in Dead Poet Society about making your lives extraordinary, and how there can be a temptation to broaden that out to where it's super big. Instead of recognizing that, no, maybe it is about intimacy and authenticity and, hey, I really have something that I would like to contribute a verse to, and I'd like to just see that come forth in fruition. It doesn't have to make a billion dollars. I, I just have to do it and have the memory of doing it and, and wanting to do it. And for some people, that may just be you know, spending time with your family. For some people, that literally might be like, no, I really want to take my family on this nice vacation, or I really want to you know, accomplish this thing at work. Um, and, and so I don't think it's necessarily about ambition. I think it's more about just getting in touch with who you are and what you know you have in you to offer. And then giving that, because this is the other important thing is Rocky could have stayed in that moment where, no, 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 I'm not going to fight him. But once he's decided he's going to take the fight, then he, then he does it. He goes for it. He trains, Mm -hmm. he does the work, he does what he needs to do. And I think that's the piece of it that if you can if you can find that thing where you can say I know I just I'm I'm proud of this I do this and I'm good at it and I'm proud of it uh, that's significant game that's a, a a really really big deal um, and uh, and that's how we can kind of step back and say this is what I was born to do this is what I was made to do um, and it doesn't have to be you know super famous or has to be super bombastic that it's just no I I went the distance on this I did this and I'm proud of it and and. Even if if I and the few people in my little uh, circle are the only ones that know about it, then it's great because it's here and I love it. And uh, so anyway, all of that to say all of that, I, I just really find that very inspiring and very um, in, in, enriching as a thought. Yeah, I think um, both of you, both of you guys, both of those statements that both of you made really kind of nail the all the thematic things that Stallone's going for, I think, right on the head. I think those are both wonderful statements. Mm, thank you. I'll Venmo you your five ball, five ball, <laughs> uh, Keith. Thank you for that. Well, here here's my. Uh, uh, you can mail me more because I want to. I want to jump on the uh, the bandwagon. And say that I've seen your birth um, twice. I wish I could have seen it more. And anybody once it gets back on its feet, every Christmas, anybody that's in the Charlotte area should get in to see that show. It's a brilliant show. I just I, I love it. Thank you. I appreciate that. I, I had full intention of 
of kind of putting it on its feet again this year. And that was then Delta started creeping up and doggone it. And you, you know, both of you to a certain degree know this feeling, but like the, the mental lifting is, is yeah. a thing and, and, you know, get, getting in the thick of life and, and inserting something big like that, uh, is a challenge. And so I think for the moment, it's probably going to pass by this year again, but <laughs> hopefully, hopefully we'll be in a little better place societally. <laughs> <laughs> can I, um, can I share one Please. more thing? I, I know, I know I talked a lot and I'll say this and then I'm, and then I'm probably done after this. I just wanted to, to, to say one more thing about that whole subject. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine, I want to say probably four or five months ago now at this point. Um, and, and we were talking about that subject of like accomplishment and like, what should you be doing? And, and as a lot of people suffered during the pandemic, uh, this friend of mine that I was talking to had, had been let go of their job and they had been working there, I think for 16, 17 years, like a long time. And they'd been let go of their job just because of downturn. And, um, and I remember we were kind of unpacking that. And this is, uh, this person was a mother and, you know, she has three children and she was just kind of trying in the conversation we were having to wrap her head around like, oh, what am I supposed to be doing? Like, what, you know, what is all of this? And I actually went back. So I just wanted to throw this on there because, you know, for those who might be sitting there and be like, I, you might be saying to yourself, listening to this conversation, well, I don't even have a talent. I can't even put on anything lo-fi because I don't even, I don't even have anything to throw myself into. And I remember I was in this conversation with this friend of mine. Um, I was saying to her an old thing that I actually got, Nathan, through your recommendation that uh, Andrew Peterson had expressed in one of his albums, uh, where he talked about uh, this concept of planting trees. And he told this story where he said that, you imagine, a, 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 this was a real story he was telling, but I'm asking the listener now to imagine a room, a, a circle of people, and they're all going around the room and saying like, well, you know, uh, what is your mission or what, what is your purpose? Like, what, what are you doing? And everybody's coming to, oh, I'm planting a church. I'm, oh, I'm doing this production over here. Oh, I'm writing a book. I'm doing, you know, all of these different things. And then it gets to this uh, wife and mother and her answer immediately is, I'm raising children as unto the Lord. And so she, she expresses this and expresses it with such confidence of like, this is why I'm here. I'm here to, and, and I was sharing that story with my, with my friend Denise and was talking with her and saying like, um, and saying like, no, no, what you want to understand is that like the effort you're pouring into your children is not lost on you. The effort that you're pouring into your home and your family, like that's, that's not worthless. That's not vanity. That's, you know, that is something substantial. If you want to do something different, then by all means, you should feel the courage and the freedom to be able to do that something different. But I feel like people who hear what we're scratching at with something like Rocky or going the distance in Apollo Creed, or I want my shot, may feel like, well, holy crap, I've never even got my shot at that. Like I'm just, I just do this thing day in and day out. And I think there's a tremendous amount of value to just saying like, no, anything you do, embracing it with the fullness of who you are and saying like, no, I'm, I'm going to do this as if this is most, the most important thing that I could be doing. Uh, not necessarily perfectionism, but just do it with all your heart. And there's significant joy, significant bounty. There's significant things that happen there that who knows what conversations people will have about your influence on this subtle little touch over here or your children rising up and being that. And I think there's just so much value getting back to the Rocky films of real people on a real street, like breathing in this thing. The, the heart and soul of the movie is as much in the moment with Mickey and the moment with Marie and the moment with Adrian as it is in the moment with Apollo. And I think we in our lives get 
so focused on wanting, needing, and wanting to perform at the moment with Apollo that we forget all of the other things where we had to go the distance on it just that much. Might be a little bit too poetic for me to express it that way, but I just wanted to, before we left the conversation, I wanted to throw that on there as well, that like, even if you don't have something you would point to and say like, well, I'm not talented, I'm not this, I'm not that, um, any, anything that you would do with full vigor of your authentic self is going to have significant impact uh, even if it's only in the, the the beautiful little world in which you occupy, and that's that's not nothing. That's that's everything for some people. So just had to say that before we left. That's awesome, Nathan. You got anything else that you wanted to add, or or should we should we send it to the fog meter? I can I can see something. Just remember, Reed, they don't remember you. They remember the rep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Keith, you got anything else you yeah, want to add? Yeah, just to Go ahead, Nathan. You got something? No, no, no. I, I, I was, I was going to say that I was being a little jokey, but there is some power there too. That that your rep, i.e., how you are in the world around you and how you interact, and I, I meant to ask this earlier because I just can't remember. Uh, but the the moment Rocky enters the the pet store for the first time, the, I wish I'd written it down. There's a line he delivers, and I was like, that is a really lovely bit, like. There's just this fullness of self and life that he is mm-hmm. passing to someone else. And it's Adrian, but, or, and the uh, shop owner, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, they, they don't remember you. They remember the rep. And, and I think for all of us, conscientiousness about how we interact with the world around us is what cultivates mm-hmm. that rep. Keith, go ahead. You, sir. <laughs> yeah, so word. One, one quick little, I think, trivia thing that I just found out this year and I thought was really cool. And then one more, I think, lesson that can be learned from the making of it. The trivia thing is uh, this was the first significant movie to be made with the Steadicam. The Steadicam had mm. just been invented. I think there was one other movie that I forget what it was, but didn't really go anywhere. Mm. Uh, and uh, certainly this movie could not have been made without the steady camera. It would not have looked anything like, you know, all those training shots and all the, yeah. the mm. fight shots would not have been the same. But so the guy who invented it, he kind of followed his girlfriend around just to kind of show some of the things the camera could do. Just kind mm. of use like a reel of film, kind of a calling card. He would send the directors, hey, look, look at all this stuff you can do with a steady cam. Guess what one of the shots was just by sheer coincidence. No, what? Following his wife or his girlfriend, wife or girlfriend, running up and down the Philadelphia Art Museum steps. Oh, oh wow. Wow. So Avildsen cool. sees that and goes, oh, my God. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is fantastic. That's awesome. uh, a typewriter. Yeah. <laughs> and right. then the other thing, and I want to be careful how I say this, because it could sound like I'm making a left-handed compliment to a lot of people I really admire, and I'm not doing that. Mm. I'm not saying this was a case of a bunch of mediocre hacks all doing good work for once. No, I'm saying these, th- this movie was made by a bunch of very talented and accomplished people who I believe all did their be- the best work of their lives on this project. Mm. Mm. I think Stallone is a great actor. I don't think he's ever been better than he was in this movie. Maybe Creed mm. would give it mm. a run for the money. Um, sure. uh, you know, Burt Young, Talia Shire wonderful actors i don't think they've ever been in good in anything else as they were in this movie john yeah. avildsen a wonderful director this uh, <laughs> this mm-hmm. is by far his best movie karate kid Bill 3 Conti is a on. great composer <laughs> pardon me karate kid 3 come on avildsen's, 
greatest. Okay. <laughs> uh, Bill Conti, a wonderful composer, but I mean, certainly he's never done anything as iconic as the music in this. Oh, going man. to Fly Now is not even my favorite piece of music. I love Going to Fly Now, but it's 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 that fight music. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, it, yeah. It, it yeah. Um, you know, it's it, it just, and, and I think that says something when you get a bunch of people together and for one reason or another, they are inspired. It is a work of inspiration. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. why is the movie great? Because a bunch of great people did the best work of their lives on this one movie. That's mm-hmm. awesome. No, that's really cool. That's really, really cool, man. Uh, I'm, this has been a blast. I'm, I'm super <laughs> excited. Uh, Keith, we're going to, for, for some other thing, we're going to have to have an excuse to have you back. Rocky was the easiest inroad we could have possibly <laughs> come up with. Uh, Rise of Skywalker. Uh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> I love you. That, that, that'll be a Cisco and Ebert moment for me and Nathan. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I will just get some popcorn and I will just be here and I will be happy to watch that. Um, but no, it's just, it, it, it's been such a pleasure. So uh, if, if you want, we can go now to the fog meter, which is our very specific metric of fear and God. Of course, in this new uh, era where we're doing what saves us instead of what scares us, it's the, uh, uh, fun and God rather than fear and God. Um, so a measure on a scale of one to 10. Um, so Keith, I'm going to start with you on a measure of one to 10. What would you give Rocky on the fun meter? How enjoyable it is, how inspiring it is, all of well, that. 10 for me. 10. 10. Yeah. 10 for me. It's my favorite movie of all time. Uh, I've seen it, you know, uh, I was watching it. I, I think I've seen it four or five times just this year. And wow. uh, yeah, because yeah, we, it we keeps binged the whole funnier series every twice. single time you see it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we binged it twice. And then there were a couple other times I saw it on HBO and said, oh, it's on. And I sat and watched it. And at one That's point, awesome. my friend Phil G said, so uh, how many times is this for you? And I said, I, I said, it's more than 50, but probably less than 100 somewhere. Around there. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, Nathan, what would you give it? Um, Fun meter. Sure. I think that uh, there is a there's kind of a lovely heaviness to it tonally. Uh, so it doesn't you know, it doesn't hit a, a traditional chord uh, in terms of fun. But I will say, I mean, I found myself chuckling multiple times at what I didn't mm-hmm. know was going to be the wry kind of sense of humor. I, and I imagine this quite intentional, but just I, I meant to share this earlier, but I love Italian stallion. Where's that come from? I invented that eight years ago when I was eating dinner. Like that is, that is a brilliant comedic line, you know, and, and put in the hands of a lived, uh, character like Balboa is just fantastic. So, so I was very taken with the energy of it, the effervescence of it. There's a real oxygen to, to the film. And so I think for me, uh, I'm going to settle at a seven for the fun meter. Awesome. Uh, I'm going to kind of meet you a little bit. I'm going to give this an eight for me. I think there are moments, interior moments in this first film uh, that would go off the charts. I mentioned that moment with Mickey, um, the the finale of it. We haven't even given any love to the actual training montage, the gonna fly now training mm-hmm. montage. But so there are interior moments of it that I think would just pop right off the charts. And then just the whole thoughtfulness of the overall piece. I'm going to uh, I'm going to land at an eight. Uh, for the fun meter myself, I'll kick us off with uh, with the God measurement or its its thematic substance. Um, and I'm telling you, there's something I wasn't trying to be hyperbolic intentionally 
earlier when I said like there's some there's a real spiritual like uh, a necessity of of what this film has on its mind and what it has to say. Uh, so I'm I, pun fully intended. I'm not going to pull the punch here. It's a ten for me on the on the God meter uh, as far as that goes. Nathan, what would you say? I'm going to go for an eight. Uh, read like on Luca. Uh, I was struck in this film at the this like you said, Keith. This is not a backhanded compliment to it, but the simplicity. Its themes are born of the characters and the world they live in. And, and yeah. so there's something really powerful about just watching these real people try to imbue their lives with meaning or, or make meaning inside of their lives. And I think that's really lovely. And so I'm going to go with an eight. Awesome. And Keith, you can bring us home. What would you give it for its substance meter? Well, I mean, it's uh, it, there were, there was a lot of things I certainly knew about this film, but I was watching it this last time with the eyes of, this is the what saves us. Uh, right, right. And I always knew this. I always knew this uh, going. I know, you know, I know the film very well. But then looking at it through the eyes of what saves us, what's the first image of the film? What's the first filmed image? Yeah. Jesus. It's Jesus yeah. on the wall. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's and the then first it thing. Down, I think, Reed, you mentioned this before. It's the word resurrection. Yeah. Yeah, is there, it's it's, the, because I think that's the name of the church. You I think said so. That, like, yeah, yeah that it's, and so like it's literally the image of Christ, and it pans down, and it's the word uh, resurrection under there. Yeah, and, and then all of these scenes I've talked about some of them, but you know, in Huckleberry Finn, there's the the whole premise of uh, he instinctively does right, even though he thinks he's doing wrong. Mm. You know, it's like, mm. uh, hey, I think I'm going to hell for helping Jim get out of slavery, but I'm going to do it. He instinctively yeah. does it, mm. does the right thing. And I think even though Rocky sees himself as this worthless human being, he does protect the guy. He doesn't break his thumbs. He puts the bum, you know, in the in the in the bar. He brings him out of the cold. He keeps Paulie from getting involved in, in the life he has. Uh, so I, I, yeah, I think that this whole idea of saving and second chances, uh, yeah, I think that warrants a 10 from me. Mm. Awesome. Awesome. 10. Okay. So that means that we give Rocky written by Sylvester Stallone, starring Sylvester Stallone, Talia Shire, Burt Young, Carl Weathers, and directed by John Avildsen, a nine out of 10 on the fog meter. You fun. Oh, God. Meter. Yep. That's legit. That's what's up. Um, I think it probably goes without saying, but, uh, but I'm going to, I'm going to start with you, Nathan. Would I certainly would recommend Rocky. Would you recommend Rocky to people? That was, the most lackey of lackeyisms. <laughs> I'm going to start with you, Nathan. I know I would recommend it. You? I'm like, okay, so you're not starting with me. <laughs> no, I didn't actually. I didn't. I I started to, and then like changed midstream. No, you were like, like let, me nah, just, let me just throw it out there. I want to go in there first. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, uh, uh, going second. Um, I second. would second. heartily recommend Rocky. It is it is very much a worthy uh, uh, addition to the canon for our film fans. That's awesome, Keith. I think you'd recommend it. Right. Yeah? I, I would recommend it, but I, I, you know, I know that uh, there's a lot of younger people that I think mm. that there, there needs to be uh, at least one disclaimer in mm. uh, the, the love scene uh, <laughs> between Rocky and Adrian uh, is not politically correct for the, the, the 21st century. That is uh, fair to you, say. So, yes. uh, uh, but I can divorce myself. I can say uh, this is a beautifully written, sweet, scene about these two lost souls finding each other and then the other part of my brain could say but no scene like this should ever be written again <laughs> <laughs> it is so we, we're not going to spend a lot of time here right keith but it is so funny that you bring that up reed and i had a 
phone conversation yesterday about like that scene's tough isn't it it's like yeah that seems <laughs> yeah. kind of tough like ah you know it's keith's favorite movie of all time we're not gonna we're not gonna <laughs> right. we're not no, gonna you, touch that scene but yes yeah. it's, it's you gotta kind look of a tough at it in look. context you got but other than that i would heartily recommend it i saw henry winkler being interviewed on uh uh, inside the actor's studio and they hmm. showed a clip of him you know and one of them was him snapping his fingers and all the women came over to him oh and, hmm. and it came back to him and he said i have a word of advice if you snap your fingers at a woman she will bite them off <laughs> 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 and he said that he pointed at the screen and said it was a different time yeah yeah <laughs> yeah funny. that's awesome yeah very true well, uh, Keith, this has been just an, uh, a boundless pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, it's just good. Like what, what Fog listeners don't realize is this was all just a big ploy to get to see our old <laughs> friend again and just be able to have a few laughs and be able to talk with you again. So thank you so much for taking some time out of your evening. Um, and that puts this uh, installment of What Saves Us in the book. So, um, so this was Rocky, our conversation about Rocky. Next week, we're going to move from something that was, you know, uh, undoubtedly incredibly inspiring and uplifting and encouraging to something that is notably heavier. Um, so next week, we are going to be talking about a film that I do want to put an intentional disclaimer on. The yes. subject matter is heavy and difficult. It is, I, I will lead by saying that it is a, it's a very affecting film that I think uh, deserves to be seen. And I think it is a, I think it is in its way a wonderful film, uh, but the subject matter is very, very heavy. I'm talking about a film called The Woodsman that stars Kevin Bacon, directed by uh, Nicole Castle. And uh, it, the, the subject matter does. Yeah. yeah, 2004. Uh, the subject matter does deal uh, with uh, a certain degree of child abuse. It is not a graphic film, nothing, nothing like that, but that is the subject of the film. Um, and so uh, enter with some discretion, look up a little bit about the film, uh, determine whether you want to listen to us talk about it first or if, before you want to check it out. Um, but that if, you will go be to, our if I can throw in read, I'm sorry. If yeah, you go to sure. stream it listener, if you want to watch the woods, the woodsman, it is sort of streaming on IMDb <laughs> TV via Amazon prime. There are commercials and it will disrupt the tone. Uh, but uh, Reed, you said you found it on canopy. Is that right? Yeah. If you subscribe to the, or if you have the service, uh, it's, it's a free service provided by your local library. So depending on whether or not your library subscribes to the service, look up canopy. That's K A N O P Y. And uh, as of right now, in most territories, it is available to stream for free without commercial interruption. Uh, on the service canopy. But yes, that is uh, The Woodsman starring Kevin Bacon. Again, very heavy subject matter. Do some research beforehand to see if you want to listen to us first or watch it first. But either way, we'll be talking about that next week. Keith, thank you so much again. Thank, thank you. you. This has been awesome. I love you guys. Love you too, man. Thank you so much, Nathan. As always, thank you very much. And as we say on every single episode, fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. We'll see you next week, everybody. Amen. See you guys. Bye-bye. Bye. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for all the latest episodes and news, as well as for merchandise and how to contact us. You can follow us on Twitter, at The Fear of God, on Instagram, at Fear of God Podcast, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com for our artwork to Lee Wright and Reed Lackey for our theme music, and to Tyler Smith and MoreThanOneLesson.com for making our show possible. Lastly, 
Be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. And if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Hi, everybody.